My name's Abe, and I get to be one of the pastors here on staff, but I just want to welcome everyone here at Richmond. You guys having a good Sunday here at Richmond? That's right. Love it. Hey, uh, we also want to welcome everybody at West End Church. Uh, that's the place uh, that I get to call home. That's where I'm a pastor. Hey, if you're there at West End, I didn't, I didn't get to see you today, but uh, make sure to stop by to see Keaton if it's your first time there and you're visiting. Also at Missouri City, make sure you stop by and meet Chad Harold. He would love to meet you. And then, of course, we can't forget our folks that are joining online. Thank you so much for tuning in. And finally, all the fellas at our Ramsey unit. We're so excited about what God's doing over there in the Ramsey unit. Can't wait till I get the chance to meet you personally. So we welcome, welcome, welcome you. Hey, listen, we are starting a new series today. Uh, We are coming out of the series called 4,000 Weeks. Those of you guys who've been attending uh, since the new year know about it. And uh, that series is now over. And I want to know how many of you are relieved to finally not be reminded of when you're going to die. Okay. Um, You had to be there for it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to YouTube, look up 4,000 Weeks and go see uh, all the different sermons that Patrick taught on. But we're starting a new series today called when life gives you lemons, okay? So really quickly across all the campuses, West End, Missouri City, Ramsey Unit, I want you guys to finish this statement with me. When life gives you lemons, make? Make lemonade, that's right. Listen, this is a series about what to do when life sucks. Just to put it bluntly, if I could wrap it up in just one sentence, what to do when life is just awful, right? And here's the thing, we all need encouragement in those moments when times are hard, but I wanna teach you something about you that you didn't already know, okay? All right, can I do that? Can I teach you something? Uh, Missouri City, can I teach you something that you didn't already know about yourself? Here's what you need to know. You're not, even though as much encouragement as you need, as much encouragement as I need in life, when there are other people in our lives that need to be encouraged, we're no good at it, okay? That's what you need to know about yourself. You're not good at encouraging people. I hate to break it to you, but let me, let me give an example of how you are not, and me, I throw myself in here, how you are not good at encouraging other people. Here's an example. How many of you guys have ever told someone it could have been worse? If these words have ever been uttered by you, oh my goodness, you've got a lot of work to do because here's the thing. No one wants to hear this, okay? No one wants to be like, if you say that to someone, right, for example, um, you say, hey, cheer up, man. It could have been worse. Oh. You know, my wife did serve me with divorce papers, but I also could have been hit by a bus, so thank God. You're right, it could have been worse. You always know just the right thing to say. Well, well, what about this next statement right here? But you have so much to be grateful for. Listen, this is a true statement. In fact, all these statements are kind of true, but no one's trying to hear this the day they got laid off, okay? No one's trying to hear about how many things they gotta be uh, grateful for. Here's another one. I know how you feel. Oh, really? Okay, tell me more. When I went through a similar situation, I... Have you ever been in that kind of conversation where you're talking to someone about what's going on in your life and they somehow miraculously manage to make it all about them? Isn't that awful? Someone asks you how you're doing. Hey, how are you doing? Maybe you're single, especially the folks at West End. Hey, how are you doing? And you go ahead and you decide to be vulnerable and you're like, well, honestly, I'm doing bad. I went out on this awful date and it's so hard to find someone that's, that has a pulse and is halfway decent, even though there's all these online dating apps and, and, and that person interrupts you and they say, oh, when I was single, bro, get out of here with that. You're not even happily married. 
I'd rather gouge my eyes out than take dating advice from you, right? We all know what it's like when someone is well-intentioned and they're trying to cheer us up, but they just fail at it. I'm gonna tell you this story, it is crazy. This is made for television, okay? If I ever write a, a, a show, if I ever write a script to what it's like to be a pastor, this is making the show, okay? So uh, I, I, I'm originally from South Florida. We get a ton of hurricanes over there, just like we do in Houston. So there's a hurricane that came through, it swept through the Keys, and me and a group of pastors went down there to the Keys. We had some folks that we knew down there that needed help. So uh, my boss, my pastor friend, uh, he's leading the way and, and we're headed to see someone that he knows has a lot of debris on their roof and around the house. We pull up to the site of the scene and literally as if it was a Netflix show, the moment we park the van, some guy, there's some shirtless guy bolts out of the house running down the street. And right after him, the guy that we were there to help is chasing after him. I mean, it's crazy. So we have no idea what's happening. And my boss, my pastor friend is like, hey, everyone, stay in the car. So right, he gets out and he's gonna go check out what happens. And, and the guy who's running after the shirtless guy comes back and, and, and this is funny, but not funny. And he says, yeah, I actually just caught my wife having an affair. So listen, we're in the van. We're in the van. We don't know what's going on, but I see my pastor friend and he's like, So he goes back to the van and, and listen, I'm a young buck and I'm trying to learn how to be a pastor. So I'm so eager to know what he said to that guy. So, I, so he tells us a story, he tells us what happened. And I look at him and I'm like, dude, what did you say? What do you say to someone in that situation? And I lean in, cause I'm eager, right? I'm trying to learn. I'm like, give me some wisdom here. And he says, well, I didn't know what to say. So when he got done talking, I said, women, can't live with them, can't live without them. It's like, okay, you're fired. I don't want that guy doing my hospital visit, all right? I don't want him to show up. You can give up your, give me your Bible, your, your, your keys to the office, you're done here. But listen, we all struggle, not only do we struggle when we need to be encouraged, but we struggle to encourage others. And along all those cliches is also this phrase of, well, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. You wanna know what the issue with that statement is? None of us know how to make lemonade. So that's why, that's why we're gonna be in this series and we're gonna be tackling this question right here. When life gives us lemons, how do we make lemonade? Because that's where the power is. That's where the wisdom is. This is catalytic to our lives. How do we make lemonade, okay? And for that, we're gonna be reading about the story of Joseph. Joseph is a very important figure uh, out of the book of Genesis. He's the character that gets most written about, in fact, in the book of Genesis. And Joseph's important for many reasons, one of them being he is Jacob's son. Jacob was the son of Isaac. Isaac was the, uh, the, the son of Abraham. Father Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons. If you grew up in church and were unfortunate enough to have that song stuck in your head, that's kind of why he's important because Jacob is Abraham's great, 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 whatever grandson, okay? Here's the thing, Joseph is his dad's favorite, Jacob's favorite, which is problematic because uh, Jacob has a ton of sons, okay? So when you have a lot of kids and you have a favorite, there's an issue with that. So let's read more. This is what it says in the book of Genesis. It says, this is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brother was doing. 
If we were reading out of the hood translation, it would read, Joseph was a snitch. (laughs) Next verse. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. Next verse. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So here we go. Like, this is a big deal, right? Jacob's got a favorite, and it's Joseph. Now, Scripture tells us uh, here in chapter 37 that he was the son of his old age, which is a translation, he's the baby boy. And when you are the youngest, absolute youngest in your family, you tend to get preferential treatment, but that's not all the story. You see, the thing about Joseph and what made him so special to Jacob is Jacob, in his young age, met this beautiful woman named Rachel. Rachel was stunning. It was love at first sight. Jacob asked for Rachel's hand in marriage from her dad, Laban. Okay, you guys ready? Hold on to this. Hold on to your seats. This is interesting. So Laban, Rachel's dad, says, sure, you can marry her, but you've got to work for me for seven years first. Okay, ladies, if a guy pays for chilies, he's got to work a little bit more than that. So Jacob says, challenge accepted. He works seven years for Laban. And at the end, he finally makes it to the wedding day. And Rachel is supposed to be his wife. And back in the day, they had this whole little ceremony. Then they would go off in this tent and they would consummate the marriage. And and, and Jacob that night, the Bible says it was dark in his tent. And he goes inside the tent and uh, Rachel walks into the tent. More on that later. And Jacob wakes up the next morning and realizes he did not just sleep with Rachel. He slept with her older sister, Leah. This is why y'all need to read your Bible, okay? It's interesting. So Jacob's like, what? What? So he goes and he takes it up with Laban. And he's like, Laban, you dropped off the wrong daughter, man. And Laban's like, no, actually, I was not gonna let you marry my younger daughter because my older daughter needs to be wed first. That would be a disgrace to the family. So now, since you asked, you can work another seven years if you wanna marry my other daughter. Jacob says, yes, and you thought you loved your wife. (laughs) Jacob says, yes, so he works 14 years. They finally get married. It's a match made in heaven, but here's the thing. Rachel is very sad because she's trying to have kids with Jacob, but she can't because she's barren, which is tragic. And Rachel is begging God to answer her prayer for a child because her older sister Leah is a baby factory. She's getting jealous, right? And God finally answers Rachel's prayer, gives her a son, and that son was Joseph. You get my drift? So not only was Joseph the baby boy, but Joseph was also a miracle baby who was birthed to Jacob through his favorite wife. Words that no one here should ever say. (laughs) So this is problematic. West End, are you still with me? I know, this is crazy, this is nuts. So this is what ends up happening. Joseph is the favorite, favorite. Jacob loves Joseph. And Joseph has this idea one night. He says, one night Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, Joseph said, gather around. We were out in the field. Okay, you guys ready for this? We were all tying up bundles of grain. All right, you won't believe what happens next. Suddenly, my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around me and started bowing before me. Isn't that great? He actually shares this with his brothers. So not only is Joseph flaunting this beautiful robe 
that his dad gave him. His dad gave him a Gucci robe and Luke Casey boots. You read your Bible, it's there. Meanwhile, his brothers are wearing Old Navy, and now, now he's got a dream. Now he's got a dream that everybody's gonna bow down to him. Not smart for him to share, by the way. The really quick biblical lesson here is not all your dreams, hopes, aspirations, goals are meant to be shared with everyone, all right? It's not meant to be shared with everyone. Share it with a, a very select group of people and, and then keep your mouth shut because people are haters, okay? As we're about to see, look, look case in point, next verse. It says this, his brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more. They hated him for this. So don't get me wrong, Joseph should have had more emotional intelligence than to tell his brothers what his dream was. That was his bad. But the brothers' bad was that they hated him. They allowed for hatred to fester in their hearts. And we're about to see the end result of hatred. This is what happened when hatred enters into your heart. One day it says this, uh, Joseph's coming down the road. He's gonna check up on his brothers because his father has sent him. And they say this, they say, here comes the dreamer. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, which is like a well. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. So because of their hatred and because Joseph shared this dream, they're sick of it. So they say, let's throw this guy in a pit. The oldest brother, Reuben, the voice of reason says, guys, we cannot kill him. This is wrong. There has to be another solution. And this is the solution. Okay, instead of hurting him, let's sell him to the Ishmaelite traders. Let's not kill him, let's sell him as a slave. After all, he is our brother. Oh, how considerate. <laughs> our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So this is what ends up happening. When the Ishmaelites who were Midianite traders came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver and the traders took him to Egypt. The part that we skipped over there was the part where Joseph shows up, they beat him up, they take off his beautiful robe and they toss him into a pit. So Joseph goes one day from being his father's favorite, flying high, wearing nice clothes, and having, having an easy life and having great dreams to the very next day being thrown into a pit by his brothers who first of all wanted to kill him and settled on selling him as a slave. This is a tragic story. Have y'all ever watched a scene in the movie that's so hard to watch you look away? Like Joseph getting beat up by his brothers would be the scene in that movie. From dreams to pit. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like your life has been derailed? Have you ever felt like your life went from one day being great to the next, it just, you don't know what happened, but things just went wrong? Now here's the thing, sometimes we are the cause of our own troubles. Sometimes it's us, right? When we rub shoulders with the wrong crowd, when when we allow a conversation on Facebook to go one direct message too far, when, 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 when we uh, compromise our integrity at work, we cause some of the own drama in our life. But you know what's worse than that? When you're actually doing the right thing and life goes sideways on you anyways. 
That's kind of what happens to Joseph. Yes, Joseph was an oversharer with his dreams, but really, does that merit him getting thrown into a pit and sold into slavery? No, not at all. So Joseph has a dream, and now he's on his way to Egypt as a slave. Here's the lesson that we can learn from Joseph. It's this, it's our dreams hardly ever look like our reality, right? Our dreams hardly ever look like our reality. Sometimes, you know, if, if you're here and you subscribe to this idea that God has uh, our best interest in mind, that he loves us and that he has plans and purposes for our life, just like the Bible says, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, we're looking at the dream, right? Looking at the dream and we're like, wow, this is a great dream. This is awesome. And then life goes sideways. So dream, reality. So when life goes sideways, when life gives us lemons, we tend to have this conversation with God. We're saying, hey God, you remember the dream? Let me remind you, God, you initialed here, here, and you signed here. So sorry, God, it looks like you've come up short because my life sucks. What's going on? Why, why does the dream not look like reality? You see, Joseph saw the dream, but as part of the dream, he did not see the part where he got sold into slavery. And oftentimes it can be like that with us, where we see this bigger vision for our lives and we can kind of conceive it. And sometimes it's from God, sometimes it's not, but we, we, we have uh, the opportunity in some moments where we believe, no, I think this is a God thing, but why does my reality not look like it? And this is when we have a very candid conversation with God. It's the God wasn't I supposed to conversation. God, wasn't I supposed to uh, have a healthy, thriving marriage? I, you know, when I had that beautiful wedding ceremony, I did not envision struggling in my marriage this much. I, I thought when we exchanged vows, that guaranteed us that certain things were gonna happen and certain things weren't gonna happen. So wasn't I supposed to have a healthy, thriving marriage, God? Because I'm about to kill this man. What about this one? Hey God, wasn't I supposed to have found a spouse by now? God, I did everything you asked me. God, God I, I, I had good judgment. While all my friends were dating losers, I did not. While everybody else was going to the club, I did not. God, I even, I even kept my celibacy, what's going on? Why aren't you true to your promises? I did everything the right way. Or what about this one? God, wasn't I supposed to have overcome all these bad habits? I've been going to church. I made a commitment. Like, what's going on? God, wasn't I supposed to be healed by now? Like, at this point in time, this illness, this sickness is getting old. God, uh, what, wasn't I supposed to have caught some sort of break? Because things just keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse. I just want you to know you're in good company because Joseph, even though we don't have direct insight to what he was thinking on his way to Egypt, Joseph had to have been thinking this. Joseph had to have been wondering, how is this dream of family members bowing down? How, how, does, how do I get from here to there? And it's in those moments that we feel like our lives have been derailed, right? But here's what you ought to know. And I hope this is of comfort to you, but it doesn't matter what your present circumstances look like. I need you to know that God's plans for your life cannot be derailed. They cannot be derailed. There is nothing and no one, not even you, can sabotage God's plans for your life. Here's the thing. Joseph was on his way to Egypt as a slave, and he must have 
been mourning the dream that just died. But the funny thing is, I won't mess up the story for you, no spoiler alerts, but Joseph ends up going to Egypt and the dream ends up being fulfilled in Egypt anyways. So sometimes what you view as your life being derailed, it's not really been derailed. It's really, uh, it's really God just being able, now I want you to hear me here, God has nothing to do with what's going wrong in your life. But God is able to take all those things that happen to you that make you feel like you've been derailed and he's able to turn them into a detour. Let me give you an example. If you have a GPS app and you put in directions to the nearest destination, wherever you're going. In my case, if I put in uh, my GPS app and I put in Kroger, that's right, I am a Kroger person, okay? <laughs> H-E-B people come at me, all right? <laughs> Honey, if I don't make it home by one, it was the H-E-B mafia, okay? These people are crazy, they are a cult. If I put in the, the directions to the nearest Kroger, and let's say on my way to Kroger, there's a fender bender that shuts down the intersection. And instead of going straight where I need to go, I need to make a right because now the intersection's closed. Okay, well now I'm, I'm going right and uh, a cop pulls me over and a police officer uh, pulls me over and I was supposed to be at Kroger 20 minutes ago and now I'm 20 minutes late, right? And then on my way uh, after getting pulled over, then I run into a construction crew. And now I gotta make another right when I was supposed to go over there and an hour later, I'm over here, Kroger's over there, what happened? Well, I don't know if you know this about your GPS app, but it doesn't matter how far you, you get astray from your destination, but the GPS app can still get you to where you needed to go in the first place. And that's what it's like when you say yes to God. God enters a destination for your life, and it doesn't matter what happens after that, no matter how far off track you get, no matter how much it may seem like your life has been derailed, God will still get you to where you need to go. Now, it may be a little late, it may be a little late, but you're on the scenic route. Doesn't look like it, but, but God can get you there. He can take whatever was meant to derail your life and he can turn it into a detour, more on that later. And it's in those moments where, where we're able to assess our situation and be like, wow, the dream does not look like reality, that we can be comforted by the truth that, that we'll, we'll get to where we need to go. We'll get there. The other truth that we can learn from Joseph's life is that when we face an unexpected reality, be faithful. Okay, so step number one is to realize that your dream has not died. You're just facing an unexpected reality. And in the middle of that unexpected reality, it's our responsibility to be faithful. Now, where that begins is by having faith to begin with. Faith in what? Well, I'm about to show you something really cool of Joseph's story. But everything changed for Joseph overnight. We can all agree on that, right? He goes from being the dad's favorite, having an easy life, having dreams, to being at the bottom of a pit. Everything radically changed except one thing. You want to know what didn't change? What didn't change was the fact that God was still with him. Listen to me, fellas at Ramsey Unit, God is still with you. I know it doesn't seem like it, and get this, it may not feel like it. And oh, by the way, it, it's never going to feel like God is with you in the middle of your despair. That's not how feelings work. Your feelings are dictated by your surroundings, dictated by your circumstances, dictated by that negative diagnosis, dictated by the divorce. 
And rightfully so, right? That's why they're feelings. But at the end of the day, we're not called to move on our feelings. We're called to move in faith. And listen, I don't want to be insensitive, right? Joseph probably had a very long voyage from where he was all the way to Egypt. He had a really long car ride to think long and hard about what just happened. And, and I don't mean to suggest that Joseph did not question God's plan. He had to have. And I think that comforts us because we now know that the standard is not the standard of perfection where our life gets ruined overnight and all of a sudden we're supposed to be like, you know what, God, I have all the faith in the world. It doesn't work like that. This takes time. But once we have the opportunity to contemplate, we can be filled with faith in the knowledge that God is still with us. Let me show you how this happens in Joseph's life. It says this, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. This is after he's been traded twice, right? And it says, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. I just noticed this about this passage, which is crazy, but I want, you to, I want you to pay attention to this. It says, when his master, this Egyptian master, who, oh, by the way, believed in different gods than Joseph. Joseph's God was not the Egyptian master's gods, plural. But yet his master saw that the Lord was with him. How powerful is that? There are people in your life that are watching you suffer and they're still going to be able to notice, they're still gonna be able to see something inside of you where even if they don't believe in God, they're like, there's something different about that dude. There's something different about that girl. I don't know what it is, but it must be God that's with them. It's crazy. Now here, I don't wanna oversell this. Joseph is still a slave. It's not like Joseph is, is, is ruling in this palace. He's still a slave but I don't know about you, I'd rather be a slave and have God with me than be a king and be without God. That's how I rather live. Now, I don't always live as if that was true, but I wanna, be, I wanna become the man that lives like that. That's why we gotta be faithful. We gotta take steps of faith, not steps of feelings, right? So once we come around to the fact that, yeah, we're at the bottom of the pit, once we get up, dust ourselves off, once we realize that God is still with there in that pit with us, then we start taking steps of faith. Okay, what would I do if God was right next to me? Okay, I'm gonna do that. Now hear me. What I do is I say, okay, have faith. Okay, do things as if God was with you. Awesome. <laughs> and we just wait, we keep waiting for God to do something, right? And it's like, oh, oh, this is quid pro quo? Oh, you want me to have faith in you? Okay, well, get me out of this mess. I do this, you do that, right? That's not how it works. I, I'm not selling this well at all, but I need you to know that Joseph did move in faith and often his life got worse. It's crazy, more on that in the next couple of weeks. Tune in for that one. Sometimes you don't get rewarded the way you think you will for being faithful, but that's not the goal. Let me show you what the goal is according to scripture. This is what Peter says. He says, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. I need you to hear me over there at Weston, Missouri City. The goal is not for God to get you out of the mess. I know that's what you want. And listen, 
We should still pray for that. That should be the desire of our heart is for our fortunes to change, is for God to move on our behalf. But at the end of the day, if he doesn't, what matters is whether or not he is pleased with us. Is God pleased with you? Because if God is pleased with you, then you get to wake up the next morning without any regrets or shame or guilt or regrets. Because God is pleased with you. That was the reality that Joseph eventually came around to. And I hope it's the reality that I get to whenever I go through difficulties and I hope it becomes yours too. There's one last thing that I want to, uh, want to remind you of. The lesson that we can learn from Joseph's life is the following, is that we've gotta believe that even though God didn't deal you the lemons, he can make the sweetest lemonade. What do I mean by that? See, I think where I get caught up sometimes is when life gives me a lemon, I associate life equals God. And, and I get the lemon and I'm like, God, why did you give this to me? I wasn't shopping for lemons. I was actually in the market for strawberries. <laughs> why the lemon? God, why the lemon? That's the conversation that a lot of us have, the dialogue of God, why, 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 why? And I, I need us to be clear on something. God is not in the lemon dealing business. See, we live in a broken world and a lot of what we face here, a lot of the stuff that feels random and awful and undeserved is a product of the world's brokenness. And if you and I look within and we're willing to acknowledge that we are sinful and we are broken, imagine that, time, that times four billion. That's how many people are on the planet or maybe it's more than that. Right, so eventually, if there's just a bunch of broken people, we get to do a lot of damage. And the lemons are, they're not coming, they're not raining down from heaven. It's happening just through life. So when life gives us lemons, part of having faith that God is with us and part of having faith that God is who he is, is to believe that with the lemon that life gives us, that he can make the sweetest lemonade. It doesn't matter how bitter or sour that lemon may be. Let me show you what it says in Romans 8, 28. This is written by Paul. Oh, by the way, a God, a guy who got plenty of lemons in his life. And this is what he writes. He says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let me show you something. And we know that with all lemons, with all lemons, God can make the sweetest lemonade. He didn't give you the lemon, but it just so happens that he knows what to do with it. Y'all ever had a country time lemonade? Sweeter than that. Better than that. The kind that makes your, your fingers sticky in the summer. God knows what to do with your pain. He's not the author of it, but he can do something with it. And he can write a beautiful story through whatever it is you're going through. And because of that, we have hope. Not based on our present circumstances, not based on our feelings, but based on the knowledge that he's there. Maybe you're here and you don't believe in all this God stuff and you're questioning, you're like, oh, I have no reason to believe in a God. This world's so awful. Listen, I get it. All the, all the questions that you have are valid. I can't imagine what you've been through. You have every reason to doubt. But let me ask you this, where does your hope come from? Where have you placed your trust? 
How's that going for you? Because I've been there and tried that and it hasn't gone very well. So take a leap of faith and believe that there is a God that loves you unconditionally that is able to make lemonade. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the encouragement that's to be found in it. Lord, everyone here knows all of us have been around long enough to understand that life can be so difficult, that life can be cruel. And God, we all need encouragement. We all need hope. And God, that, I believe that that hope is found in you. And Lord, it, it's up to us to, to realize where we're at, to take, uh, take stock of everything that's happened around us, realize that we're at the bottom of the pit, and have enough awareness to realize that as bad as things have gotten, that at the end of the day, you have not abandoned us. Lord, the Psalm says, even though father and mother abandon me, Lord, you still hold me close. And that is true for all of us. So I pray that we would live like it. I pray that we'd be courageous enough to have faith in it. And that at the end of the day, that we would be able to share how you took life's lemons and you made lemonade. And we thank you so much. It's in your name we pray, amen.